So what we're going to do is we're going to read Mark chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse number 31. But then what I want to do is I want to kind of break uh, this lesson down into four different segments, I guess. And I don't want to even start with them being spiritual ideas or thoughts. I want to start with them being practical ideas and thoughts and real life situations. Then bring out the spiritual aspect of that we can learn from that and then make some spiritual applications. I hope that will become clear as we go along. So starting in Mark 8, I want to begin in verse 31. And this being Jesus, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. So there's two very important things that Jesus is discussing at the beginning and the end of this. Two like major issues, right? The first is he's going to be taken because he's going to be betrayed and he's going to die. But he's going to be raised on the third day. And at the end, he caps it off by basically bringing about judgment and saying that if you deny me, uh, if you're ashamed of me in this world, then I will be ashamed of you when I come back in the glory of my father or of his father. So he's speaking almost in like, would that be third person? Uh, speaking as if the son of man is someone else, but he's speaking of himself, obviously. And that's why Peter rebuked him and said, no, this isn't going to happen. Stop saying this. Um, I, I wonder if Peter would have felt the same if he was saying this to the other people who were just there for food or whatever, and that way they went away. But he's saying this like to the disciples, to the, to the close-knit group that they have. And he's like, you need, don't say that. This is not going to happen. Um, but it most assuredly will happen. And Jesus makes that very clear. Just as much as it was going to happen that he was going to be taken and killed, it was going, it's going to happen that those that are ashamed of him in this life, he will be ashamed of them when we come before him in glory. Um, and I think that's what he's talking about there. But in between that is really our theme uh, verse, where he says, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we read that in verse 34. But then he asks a few questions. Well, he makes a statement in verse 35. Um, if, you're, if you want to save your life now, you're going to lose it, is basically what he's saying. But he doesn't say now. He just says, whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. And then he asks some questions. And it's those questions, those two questions, that I want to focus on this morning. And... Again, I want to reread those questions, and then I want to just bring out a few practical, everyday uh, things or, or questions of my own to see how we would respond, because I think that they apply. And then I want to actually apply them spiritually. 
What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit a soul? I, I can't wrap my head around gaining the whole world, right? That, that's really difficult for me to understand. But Jesus himself knew what that was like to have that opportunity presented before him. Satan tempted him with that. All of this is yours. You don't have to, and I think that the implication there is when you gain the whole world, you have power, you have uh, status, and, and people aren't going to harm you. You don't have to go through any problems. You have it all. But what does it profit you if you gain that but lose your soul? It's like a math equation, right? You start, you, you, so you have this. So what is it equal out if you have this minus this, right? You have the world and whatever that means for you, but you subtract your soul. What is the equal? He doesn't give the answer right then. He asks another question. What can a man give in return for his soul? So now this is not necessarily an equation where it's like this plus this or this minus this. It's what is this equal to, okay? What does your soul equal? Because if you can answer that and there's a good answer, then that first equation, that first question can actually be rationalized. You could actually wind up with a positive, right? Because I, I guess what, what the understanding we need to have is that your soul is, more of, is of more value than the world, than all the things in the world. So his first question does not turn out good. It's a negative answer. Unless you can find a way to rationalize and say, no, 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 your soul is not the most important thing, though. What is your soul equal? What can you gain that if you lose your soul, it's still okay? But he doesn't give an answer. He doesn't say anything as far as saying, well, but there's nothing. He leaves it, and I think he leaves it there for a reason. Because the answer is nothing. There's, there is nothing to say. He's already set out the, the, uh, the statement and the call to say, leave everything and follow me. Why? Because that's how you gain your soul. That's how you, not gain your soul, but that's how you uh, keep your soul, to some, if you want to think of it that way. So anyway, so that's kind of what's going on here. So what I want to do is I want to just bring up, like I said, four different practical things in life. And I want to ask those questions and see if, is this of more value than that? And then I want to apply those spiritually. The first is possessions and status. And I don't mean necessarily how much money you have in the bank. Anything that you can put a value to that says this is significant and brings value to me. So it could be a car. It could be a bank account. It could be clothing. It could be your, your uh, fitness. It could, uh, anything that is status related. The reason I bring that up, and, and this is, I, don't, I, I wanna go ahead and get into, I guess the conversation that got my mind thinking about this lesson. I was talking to a guy back in Florence and uh, it was, uh, they, they, they learned two weeks ago that his wife has cancer and um, you know, it's very treatable. Uh, if there's going to be good news from the bad news, she got good news. So, um, and I really feel for them, and I feel so sorry that they're having to go through this because 
they're so sweet and giving and kind and they already have to they have three kids and you know they already have a lot going on with that um but he said that and this is not the first time i've heard this he said that one of the things that his wife mentioned was that uh she was she was really devastated when she learned that she was going to lose all her hair right and and i've heard that 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 is just it, I, I don't know if, I don't know why but i i think it just brings to reality how much it's going to take from you and i think that my understanding i don't know but as a woman uh my understanding is that that is kind of a, a thing that you just you don't want to lose that <laughs> you, you want to keep that but then one of the things that um we both agreed on and i would never say this to her but it's worth it if you get to keep your life right if if you lose your hair but you keep your life isn't that worth it so that was the real life situation that i started thinking about so my question would be what would you give up for your life and and then that got me thinking well really the whole thing with that is just status it's not possessions but it's status it's like some sort of symbol um it's meaningful and it says something about you would you give that up if it meant keeping your life for instance if all of your possessions were taken but you knew that you could gain your life or you could save your life would you give up all that you have um if education is of top priority to you but you lose all of it you have to give all of it up like maybe you're going for your doctorate right and you just have to give all of that up because of some sort of issue in your life but you get to save your life is it worth it and there's probably a lot of other things that I could think of, but the, but the answer is clearly yes, right? Like, yeah, yeah, if I get to keep my life, it's worth it. But there are people out there, the answer to that is kind of a toss-up. Or maybe the answer to that is a little bit no. Because if you take away that one thing that is a status symbol, that one thing that really defines who they are as a person, they would rather die than give that up. So now let's, let's apply that spiritually. And, and we'll bring this up at the end of the lesson as well. But your spiritual life is the thing that is up for grabs, right? What is the one thing? And, and only you know this. I mean, and I doubt that it's hair or car or a bank account necessarily. But what's the one thing that is kind of symbolizes who you are that you know if you were forced to, if your arm was twisted, you would say, I don't know if I'm willing to give that up to save my soul, to save my spiritual life. I, I'll tell you mine. I, I think that, and I could, I, there might be several things for, for all of us, and I might have a few, but I know that I'm defined, and you can ask anyone that knows me very well, I'm defined by being an outgoing, like very people person, social butterfly. If, if you take that away from me, I almost don't know who I am. But would I be willing to like give that up and just be like John living out on an island somewhere or be like Paul taken away from everybody? Would I be willing to go through that if it meant that I kept my spiritual life and I saved my soul? I mean, I would hope the answer would be yes if I, if, if I was forced to go through that. Um, on the surface, the answer is yes, by the way. I, I would imagine that the answer is yes for all of us. So just think about that. What's your one thing? Or what are your couple of things that they just define who you are? When people associate you for who you are, they're gonna list these couple things. Like word association, 
okay, they're going to say, Richard, and they're going to name these two or three things off. But you have to give that up. You have to give up what defines you. Again, I know that's kind of taking it to another degree from the situation with my friend um, and his wife. But I think that's how we apply that spiritually. Another thing that I want to bring up is instead of the possessions and status and how we're defined, but more of like the comfort and stability that we might have. Um, do you know someone that's unwilling to get out of their house because they just they just don't, or maybe they never left the state that they're in, or they never left the town that they grew up in. And it's for some reason they just like they're unwilling to get out there at all because like they just like things the way that they are, and they're going to stay that way until the day they die. Um, I know a lot of people that <laughs> I joke with them that that's how they are, but they're not really like that. But I I do know one guy that, and again this does kind of define him, but it's just it's who he is. It's the next door neighbor that uh, at my mom's house. Like, I mean, that guy, I mean, I see him go out of his house all the time and work in the yard, but that's it. He doesn't have anything else. Like, he, and I don't know if it's by choice or if it's just through, like, that's just how life has happened and now it's by choice. But man, like, he doesn't do anything. I think he gets up, he might go to the gym, uh, uh, he has a really nice car, he'll get that out on a Saturday, drive it around, that's it, drive it home put it back in the garage. And I remember one time when I was a kid, this is a side note, it has nothing to do with the seriousness of the lesson, but I had to go feed these cats. Number one, I don't really like cats. I was, I'm, I was a little allergic, I was very allergic at the time. And also like, I found him to be a creepy individual, okay? <laughs> Cause like no one knew anything about him. But really what I, and then, so I had to go in there in his house and do all of that. And I just, I couldn't stand it. Like I was in and out very quick. But then, even as a kid, I, I did it another time, and I, I became very um, intrigued. I was like, what makes this guy who he is? Because that's not me. So maybe I snooped around a little bit. I didn't find anything. Nothing happened. But I'll tell you what that, did, what that did teach me. There are people who this is their life, and that's, what, that's how they want it. They don't want anything to change. Well, what if that meant that you died? What if that meant that because of your stubbornness, because of your desire for stability and comfort, your life was taken from you? Not just because living life is taken from you, but like your physical life is in danger because you're unwilling to go against what the norm is for you. Let's apply that spiritually. Is it comfortable to deny yourself and to take up your cross? No. It means getting out of what is comfortable. It means shaking up the solid ground that is there and like actually getting away from what is stable. Again, I go back to think of if you were Paul or Peter or any of those disciples. Would you be able to do that? Live your life that way? And in some ways I think no, but in other ways I think I better be. I better be willing to be shaped and molded and not just think about how stable and comfortable I want things in this life. Or else, when push comes to shove, I will, I will choose that rather than my spiritual life and my soul. A third one that I wanted to bring up is friendship and a sense of community. So when I was younger, um, we moved into this house the summer before my seventh grade year. 
And uh, the guy right across the street, he was like my best friend. He was an oddball, he was weird, and, um, but he was my best friend, right? When we were in, I think 11th grade, there was, uh, he, he was involved in a terrible car accident with his family. And like, it, they, they, the seat went from being a normal size seat to when they arrived on the scene, it was like that. They don't know how he lived. He was already odd, and he was already kind of weird, but he was my best friend. But then, through that, he, he really changed who he was. He got out there. I mean, in a way where it was kind of scary. The things he was interested in and pursuing, I wasn't really interested in pursuing those things. But he was my best friend. But then, as I've gotten older, I realized, and so I, I started kind of separating myself from him just because that's how life happened. Um, but also, I, I reflected back on this a long time ago, and I realized that that was also an active choice because I was kind of coming into my own and thinking more about spiritual things, still not very spiritually mature, but you know, I was in 11th, 12th grade. Like, I, I kind of wanted to be more mature and and not be focused on the same things he was. So we started drifting apart. And that was kind of easy because it was natural when you graduate high school, you become more better friends with people that you're around in college or whatever. But when I, when I look back on that, I think of some of the things that he was involved in that he was kind of dragging me along with. I should have been willing to give up on that friendship long before that accident happened, long before the natural course of life took us apart from each other. Um, I mean, he introduced me to things that, like, I'm sure I would have been in, introduced to and experienced just because of being around worldly people, but I, I should have never been involved with it, but I was because he was. And that's the case even before him. I had other friends previously that were the same way. And I remember when I was, I think I was in like fourth grade or something like that, maybe, maybe fifth, and like my best friend at the time, he started smoking cigarettes. And I tell you, the only reason I didn't isn't because I was like, no, I'm not gonna do that. It's because I hated him because my mom did and I sneezed all the time and it just, I didn't like it. That's the only reason I didn't do it. Making the conscious decision that you're not gonna go along with your friends and kind of take part in this community uh, feel is very difficult when you're younger. It's very difficult when you're older as well. So let me, let me apply this spiritually. Um, right now, I'm in a situation where the people I work with, I mean, I'm there eight to five or more every day of the week. You get close with people. I mean, you, I do. I mean, maybe some of you would be able to go, okay, just going in there and leaving and that's it. But I can't do that. I, got, I get close with people that I'm around. But they are, they're involved in things that I don't need to be involved in. They take part in things that I can't and I shouldn't want to, but I do because it's the community and the friendship feel. Is it, is it worth me being able to experience that and being included and in putting my spiritual life in jeopardy though? That's the question. And the answer is no, it's not. Because I learned way back when that friendships come and go. That sense of community come, comes and goes. What also remember realizing when I was in college is that there's one type of community and friendship that, that has really been consistent, even though the individuals have changed, and that's been my spiritual family has been there. Um, 
And I don't know if you've experienced that. I, I don't know all of your stories, but I would hope that if you're a type of person that you thrive on those friendships and on that community feel that, that you can find people that are actually spiritually minded and you can latch onto them. Because if you don't, then there's other people that are doing things that, they, that you know you shouldn't do and you wish they wouldn't do because it influences you. Whether that be the language, I mean, and this is going back to things I heard when I was in like middle school and high school, but it's true. Like the language that you hear, it influences you. You take part in it eventually. Um, whether it be like with me with, at work, going out and having drinks afterwards and all of that just to be part of the group. Or if you're in high school, college, that age, and it's like just kind of what kids do. Or if it's um, experiencing and experimenting with other types of drugs or just things that maybe it's like, that's not that bad to do at one time, you think. But you really, the only reason you do it isn't for the experience, it's because of the people. That's how I am, at least. Some, some of you might be different, and it really is just about the experience. Or it could be things involving sexual morality. Um, regardless of what it is, is, is it worth experiencing those things and going with the flow, really, just to be part of a community and a family, even if it's just you and a couple friends, that, that family feel? Is it worth having that but giving up your soul? And the answer is no. So try to find people that are a spiritual family that help you, even if, even if they're a little weird, even if like, you don't really gel with them in, on every level. Like, your soul is at stake. And the last one that I did want to bring up is just personal preferences. And, and I mean specifically within the church now. All these other things have been kind of just in general in life. Um, but I want to start with personal preferences within a family and then apply that to personal preferences within a spiritual family. Have you ever been to a family reunion where it was really awkward because people are, maybe, not, maybe it's not just two sides, it's like, everybody is mad at each other kind of thing. They got some sort of beef. There's some weird thing going on. I remember having that when I was a kid. I went to family reunions and like I would go with my grandparents because they dragged me dragged me to every one of them. And like it was great because of the food, but everything else I was like, mm, I, don't, I don't really enjoy this because I didn't know these people and they're like pinching my cheeks acting like they know me and I'm like, I don't, I don't know you. I don't remember your name. But they, uh, they would take me there and there was, there was several times I remember thinking, there's some weird thing going on. Like, there's a really, really weird thing. And I, I, as a kid, just noticing conflict that was there, something in the air. I'll give you one real-life example. When my great-grandmother passed away, I don't even, I, to this day, I don't even know what the issue was. But we're at her funeral. And she had, so my, there's my grandmother, and then... I, I mean, I feel bad I can't remember this. I think there's four or five brothers. And they were like having an argument out in the foyer over something to do with the disagreement about, about the funeral arrangement. And it's like one guy, I think, one of the brothers had his way he wanted things to be done. And it wasn't going to happen that way. And there we are. And again, I don't know the details. I don't care to know them. I hope my grandmother doesn't listen to this and call me and, and is mad at me for bringing it up. But, you know, the names are not put out there, but, you know, you can, anyway. But I, I just remember thinking, like, what, like, is this worth it? Like, is, it, is this worth, it? at this time, seriously, is this, is this what needs to happen? You know, 
your personal feelings and preferences and ideals can get in the way of a lot. They can get in the way of um, drawing closer to your brothers or sisters. They can get in the way of you growing spiritually or them growing spiritually or as we read in Ephesians about what happens when the body does what it ought to and functions properly, it causes growth of the body, right? Personal preferences can get in the way of that, though. So my question is, are you willing to give that up in exchange for your soul? Because if you wind up being that cancer in, in a spiritual family, you're going to have to answer for that. There's going to be some serious judgment on that. Or if you're the reason that a, a congregation or a group of uh, Christians is held back and, and can't grow the way it ought to because of you, what you want, that's just a sad state to be in. That's a scary state to be in. And, and that's very, much more serious than, oh, this one time you said something I didn't like uh, in, in your family or something. You can get over that stuff, and you can move on, and it's usually not that big of a deal. But what about within the church? I, I think I've been the one or my personal preference has been something that I, I hung on. I, I was going to hang on to that thing, right? And I didn't realize that if I would just have the love that I needed to have, and I actually put that as a priority as opposed to my selfishness, wow, there could have been so much, so much good that was done. But what I also need to understand is that I, I, need, to, I need to see how serious that is in regards to my soul. Um, so those are the four areas that I wanted to touch on from a practical real-life standpoint and then bring it home as far as it being for us as Christians and thinking about our souls and thinking about us as a group. What I want to do now is I want to go over to Isaiah 43. And if you want to just turn there, you can. I want to read the first, the first four verses, and then we'll go over to Ephesians 4, which was the text that James read for us at the beginning. This would be considered one of the servant songs um, in Isaiah because it's referencing the Messiah, I believe. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. I know he's, in verse 4, he's talking about what he just referenced in verse 3, being people like the Egyptians and people from other lands that that he was going to give to them so they could overtake. But I do want to bring up that there was one person. There was one man. There was one life that was given in exchange for them. Um, and that was Jesus. And I, I don't think that's necessarily what he's talking about there, but I think Ephesians is, I know Ephesians is talking about that. So let's go over to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> and right there at the end, He's giving them a lot of instructions beginning in verse uh, 25, I believe it is, um, or actually 20, verse 17, about their life and how they need to live and what they need to be doing. But then in verse 32, he says, Be kind to one another, 32, Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. 
Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. I just wanted to conclude with that verse because I think when we're considering the things that we're willing to give up in exchange for our soul, I think we need to understand that Jesus gave himself up for our soul. It was for our salvation. It was for the the sins of the world that he gave himself up. And all those things that I listed, he was willing to give all those things up for us. He was willing to give up status, even though he had it once before. He was willing to give up all possessions he was willing to give up the friendship and community feel, even though he did have it. But, you know, when he was taken, he was alone. He was left alone. He was willing to give up all of that for us. He was willing to give up stability and comfort. I mean, he, did, he even says in one verse that, that he didn't have a place to lay his head, basically, which I know that he did have a place to lay his head at times. But I think the point is he didn't have a place he could truly call home. He didn't have that stability. He gave it up, gave up everything. So we go back to Mark 8 and just ask the question, what are you willing to give up in exchange for your soul? What, what, is, it, what is worth the value of your soul? And I'll give you the answer. At least this is my understanding. And if you don't believe this, then I would hope you would think about it and maybe even talk to someone. The answer is nothing. There's nothing that equals the value of your soul. Um, it's It's priceless. And I think that we can see that through the sacrifice of Christ. So whatever it is in your life that you struggle with, that you think is, that's, that's the thing. Or that is, those are the things that, man, they, they really get in the way of you being who you ought to be before God. And, and you being a, more of a disciple and following Jesus. Whatever that is, I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying that it's worth it to give it up. Um, it's worth it to give up all things if you gain your soul. Just imagine if you, if you had to give up everything for your physical life, you probably would do it. How much more for your spiritual life? How much more for a time when you can be at peace with God in heaven? That's what, it's worth giving up anything in this life for that. So I hope that's helpful. Maybe there's some things that you found that in discussing this, you think I could work on that. I could, I could be better in this way or that way. Um, I know that's the case for me. All, all those hit home for me. There's a reason I brought all of those up. But it also might be that you, you really think that you haven't given up what you ought to for your soul. That there's, there is something very serious in your life right now that is getting in the way of you, of you being who you need to be and you being faithful to God, whatever that is. You need help with that. We are here. We are family here. And we, we want to pray with you. We want to help you um, through the good times and the bad. Um, so we do have an invitation song. It is number 92. If you have something you need to speak with someone about, you can do that at this time. Uh, but you can also wait till afterwards. I would just say don't hesitate because your soul is worth it. So we'll stand and sing verse, that's number 92.